Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. We're in our last week of our series uh, called Resolve, uh, Learning God's Will, God's Way. If you can see, our, our little hiking man is our, he's up on the top now, our rock climber. Yay, made it. If you uh, feel like this is our sixth week, if you want more, there's more to be had. The women's, uh, there's a women's Bible study that's going to, it's called Hearts of Grace. You can read about it in your uh, bulletin there. It's going to meet starting next week at 9.15 in the education building. And then Ray Anderson is going to be teaching a class uh, on peacemaking, like how to reconcile relationships in a biblical way starting next week at 9.15 as well. We're, we've been working our way through a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, and our preaching series has been a complement to that. And peacemaking, I think, is in chapter 8 of that book, so that would make sense. So there's more to be had if you want. Today what I'd like to do is summarize maybe the essence of what we've been learning these six weeks, and it, no better source than um, the teachings of Jesus Christ himself. And the context of this teaching, for nothing else, ought to be awe-inspiring. This is the, the last teaching that he does to his most intimate audience, his closest friends. And they, I think, that audience understood clearly what he was, try, what he was telling us about how the Lord works in our lives. We miss it, not because we're 2,000 years removed, but we live in asphalt and concrete. And, and so we don't know what or how God works. And, and since we don't know what God's doing or, and, and how he's doing it, it's pretty easy for us to become confused or disillusioned in the, Christ, in the Christian life. But there's, we shouldn't be because Jesus told us what was going to happen ahead of time. Let me, let me just tell you how the story, you know, unfolds. Uh, this, is, this is just after the last Passover that they have together. We call that the Lord's table or the, the Last Supper, right? And, and so he's just with his most intimate friends, and now he's going to go uh, f- from this upper room down a valley and then up a hill w- where the Garden of Gethsemane is, okay? So the Mount of Olives, called the Mount of Olives, and he's going up the Mount of Olives there. It's at night. There's, it's torch lit. He has those 11 men with him, and before he gets there, apparently there's a, there's there's a vineyard that's been going for years there. I mean, you can even see some remnants of that even today. But he stops at the vineyard and he says, this is my last and most profound teaching time. That's, I would say it's his most profound teaching time. He's going to say, this is what it's all about. And this is what he says. He says, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. And that's how he starts this teaching time that I'm going to try to help you maybe understand a little better today because the more I studied it, the better I grasped maybe what God was doing in my life. The mystery of the Christian life is supposed to be like extinguished right here in these like eight verses or so. This is the fundamentals of how God works and what he's doing in our life. Okay, I think Jesus is saying like, listen, listen, this is how your soul works. And this is how God the Father is going to work in your soul. Still don't get it? Uh, if you're in school, you, I would say, this is on the test. Yeah. And uh, the test being life, okay? So, so here it is. I'll give you a clue ahead of time. Uh, look for the word fruit. Fruit. It's in there seven times. John chapter 15, verse 1. Here's Jesus. I am the true vine. My father is the gardener, or vine dresser, they're called. He cuts off or lifts up every branch that is in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, now he's going to prune that so that it will be even more fruitful. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. 
yeah, that's obvious, but uh, you must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Verse 5, I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, can do nothing. Here's verse 8. Here's the climax. So this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. That's, there it is. That's life in a nutshell right there. Why are we here on this planet? Why, did, why were we left here by God? To bear fruit, more fruit, much fruit. That's what Jesus is up to here. It's a beautiful metaphor. He has stopped in this garden. He's holding these leaves on the vineyard. The disciples are going, oh, I get it now. We don't get it. We don't know how to grow grapes. So, Today we're going to learn some horticulture, but we're really going to hear about, learn about how God works in our life so we won't be so surprised. Let's, uh, I guess, define the cast of characters. The first one is Jesus says, I am the true vine. If you're growing a vine of grapes, it, uh, it's going to, the vine is going to be a, a shaft coming up from the ground about actually the size or the, the circumference of this uh, podium here. It'd be coming up out of the ground about waist high. Or so, and then and what they would do is they would uh, they would strengthen that with a, a rod of some kind, and then about I don't know a few feet over they'd put another rod in the ground, a few feet other another rod in the ground, so two on this side, and then another rod over here, two on this side, and then and then what they do is is they would they would string wire or some kind of string to connect maybe like at four levels those five posts that are in the ground. If you can just imagine like a music sheet, right, just going across. The vine is in the ground in the middle, and then everything's going to go off to each side. The next character that's mentioned here is my father's the vine dresser. He's the gardener. And his job description is to coax this vine to produce branches that, uh, that cause the most grapes. Not just the most grapes, the most lush grapes. They have to be sweet. And how is he going to do that? He's going to, he's going to intentionally stress the branches. And he'll do that usually today. You'll even see that through uh, water deprivation and the way he's going to tend it. That's what we're going to learn today is how they tend it. The third uh, character in the story is you, you and I. We are the branches. And the branches, again, are, are the focus of the vine dresser in this story. And and. For this vine dresser to do a good job, he has to keep the branches off the ground. Because if they're off the ground and on these, on these strings going across, that's that, then you can have fresh air circulating. They have better exposure to the sun, and it's easier for the vine dresser to be able to uh, care for and tend to them. Okay? And so what's, what's the goal? What's the goal of all this vine dressing? Here it is. Fruit. More fruit much fruit. Seven times. Let's just all say that out loud again so that we don't miss this. What's the point? Fruit. More fruit, much fruit. More every year. <laughs> okay, so God is uh, like easily pleased but never content. And so we're going we're gonna to work these branches and this year we can get a half a bucket tending it. And the next year we'll get a full bucket. And the next year and our whole lives They'll be tending the branches, you and I, so that we can have fruit, more fruit, much fruit. Sweet, good fruit. That's what we're asking about. What's all this talk about fruit? That's what we're designed to do. I mean, that's, that's, that's the way we were made. We were, we were made to have 
the nature of Christ come from within us to out of us, to be like Christ. That's what this, that's what this fruit is. And we're supposed to, if you, could just, if you listen kind of to the emotion or the theme of those verses, I think you're supposed to be kind of greedy about the fruit. I mean, fruit, you know, right? More fruit, much fruit. Just you, gotta, you, gotta, you want more of this. You always want more fruit. And so what, what's the fruit? It's, this, it's, it's the idea that uh, it's, it's like being, all, all, it's all about being possessed by the Spirit of God, where we, we think what God would think and we would feel at the same levels that God would feel and we would do what God would do. And that's the fruit that's, that's coming out of us. And, it, and, it, and the, look what it does when we bear fruit, much fruit. It says this, there's a purpose of life. Verse 8 again, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. You show that you ha- you're a lot like Jesus, when you're, that's what it means to be a disciple, when you start thinking and feeling and acting like him, and that gives glory to the Father. That's the fruit. Now, again, you want to get greedy about this fruit. You're going to want this. I mean, look, here's a partial list of the fruit that we're talking about. Here's what Paul writes in Galatians. He says, the fruit of the Spirit is love. And it looks like joy and peace and patience and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. See, see how you want to be greedy here? You want, you want love? Yeah. You want more love? Yeah, I think you do. You want joy? You want much joy? Yes, you do. These are the things we can envy and desire and lust for and get greedy about. The fruit, more fruit, much fruit. All right, that's the purpose. That's what the vineyard vine dresser is doing. Now what we're going to do is learn how does that happen? Because again, we're city folk. I think the disciples knew what was happening when, they, when Jesus was speaking this. He knew what they were getting into. And, and so now we're answering the question, what does the vine dresser do so that this, these branches can produce the most sweetest fruit possible? Two things, the passage says, both in verse 2. One, he lifts them up. He lifts them up. So it says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. A good translation would say lift up. You'll see that in some Bible commentaries. And why would the vine dresser be bent over lifting this up? Because it is the natural propensity, especially of a new vine or branch, is is not to work. It's it's just to run along the ground. So I'll tell you about the vine, and then I'll show you how that applies to our souls, how we're a lot like these branches. But they're just going to run along the ground. And so uh, what happens is that the dust and dirt get, get on the leaf, kind of choke it out, can't breathe as well, can't see the sun as well. And if it rains, then it gets muddy and quite often mildew, and it, and it will not bear fruit. And so the vine dresser bends down, cares for that. Come here, little branch, come here. Right, get up. And then he cleans it off, right? So he's like, you can breathe again. And then he, caught, and he gets that branch, and he wipe, wraps it around those twines, right, so that the, the, the cool, right, fresh breeze can get underneath those leaves. The sun can come down. And make it make the magic work. It's to go thrive, man, thrive, little branch. That's what he's doing. What does that mean for us? What does it mean to be lifted up? 
Most commentaries will tell you that this section of the vine dresser's work in a person's life is, in, is referring to discipline. This is referring to when a person is willful, volitionally, right, actively doing things that are wrong, right, that are destructive to themselves, to other people, and their relationship with God. It's a simple word in the Bible. It's called sin. And when a person continues to do this, they don't bear any fruit. And the vine dresser is going to say, look, 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 you're, you're, like, you're getting choked out by all of these poor decisions. And so the Lord allows mostly, honestly, consequences of your decisions to spank you, discipline. That's what lifting up means in this passage, that God disciplines us so that we would bear more fruit. Now, in Hebrews, the writer there says, look, I know it sounds like it's a bad thing that God would discipline you, but there are two really great reasons you're going to love spankings from God. One, it proves that he's your father, that you belong to him. I mean, the writer says this, what father does not discipline his child? If he doesn't discipline you, it's because you're not his kid. So in some respects, when you feel the consequences of bad decision-making coming your way and you realize that the Lord's disciplining you, he's lifting you up, that's, that's good. The other thing is, is that, that it's present pain, but if you, if you work it right, it's for future greatness. Look what it says in verse 11 of chapter 12. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Yeah, sure, that's obvious. But listen, later on, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So if you respond to the discipline, it's contingent upon that, then you have the potential of having this glorious harvest, another agricultural term, of righteousness and peace. You want righteousness and peace? Is that the fruit you want? Yes. You want more of that? Yeah. You want much of that? You bet. Then stop doing the dumb stuff. <laughs> you know, the Lord loves you, and he's going to discipline you, and he's going to lift you up. He's going to do what he has to to get you off the ground. Don't be a ground dweller. So the first thing was lift up. The second thing that he does in verse 2, again, is he prunes back, or he prunes us. He says, while every branch that does bear fruit, these are the ones that are bearing fruit, he prunes them so that it will be even more fruitful. <laughs> See how he's easily pleased but never content? Oh, look, you're bearing fruit. I'm going to make you bear more fruit. And again, this is a section where the, the, the pruning, I think the disciples are going to see more to it than, we're, than we can uh, understand, and I'll explain that. But most people, in the context of a human soul, as it applies, the pruning isn't so much discipline for doing wrong. Pruning is, uh, it's the things that we should be growing out of. It, it, is, it, is, 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 it is about maturing and, and shedding the things that are keeping us from grow, going deeper. A, a pretty good illustration in another book was that you should put off all things that encumber you. And if you can just imagine, you know, running a sprint or something, you don't see people running sprints in long pants and parkas and those, they shed everything they can and, so that they can run as fast. as. So it's, it's putting off stuff that you don't need. You know what it means? It means ego. That's what's being pruned here. Discipline's about doing wrong. Pruning is about getting that ego back because it's contaminating everything. And what the disciples heard here, when they heard the word pruning, they, they knew that night that Jesus is holding that branch and he's talking about pruning. He, he know, they, they knew this, that you can't get fruit 
more fruit, much fruit, unless you stress that vine with pruning. In other words, you have to go against everything that branch wants. The branch's ego, here's, what, here's the problem. The branch's ego, it just wants to grow vigorously. Here's what a branch does when he's untamed and unvine dressed, right? He's ungardened. They just run down the string. They run down the string to see how long their little branches can go, and they want to produce as many leaves as they possibly can. Do you know why they want long strands and leaves? It's easiest. It's just easier to grow long and leaves than it is to grow a grape. <laughs> and so, so again, you, if, you, if, you, if you drove up on a vineyard and it was, it was un you know, cared for, it would look like it's, it's this lush thing that's full of life. It would be full of leaves. And when you, if you got, if you saw any grapes in there, they would be so small, like the size of a pea, and they would be bitter because that, that branch is just doing whatever that branch wants. His little ego is doing what it wants to do whenever it wants to do it. But if you want to have few and, and, and or, or, or if, you want, if you want to have the goal here, which is like sweet grapes, right? Fruit, more fruit, much fruit. If you want that, the vine dresser has to come in and say, we've got to stop that ego from doing the easy thing. How, how are we not like this branch, right? Aren't we, aren't we like this branch where we, we make a choice to do the easy thing instead of the right thing? It's constant because, well, easier is um, easier. And, and so God has to trim that back. He, he has to want us to do the right thing. Look, most of our, most marriages, most of our marriages are in difficulty. If we're, if we're in a difficult time, it's because we keep choosing to do the easy thing. Stay busy. Stay distracted. Let's not talk about it, right? Let's just move on to the next activity. I mean, some people will literally, let's go on a vacation instead of doing the right thing. Let's go to a counseling office. That, that takes courage. That takes work. That's the hard thing. There's pruning involved. Maybe if we stay distracted long enough, the kids will get out of the house, and then we'll deal with it then. Really? That's a lot of leaves, a lot of branch. I mean, uh, some, sometimes it's just when you look back at your life, you can see where God pruned you looking backwards. Look back five years if you've been walking with the Lord, you know, when, or maybe 10 years ago, and you, uh, you would throw tantrums to get what you want, right? You'd yell. And so you realize that was an issue of discipline, and so you maybe got a hold of your temper a little bit and didn't yell so much, and you found out that, you know, uh, pouting, you can pout and get what you want. And what, you know, what's great about sulking is it's just as powerful as yelling often, and then you don't have to apologize. And that's still ego. That's still manipulation. It's still lying. And so while that wasn't a, maybe a candidate for discipline, it's a candidate for pruning. It's still all kind of about you. Without pruning, the leaves and right, the, the strands of branches just go on and on, and there's no flavor. Not, well, actually, there is. Can you imagine a glass of wine made out of, of just leaves? I mean, I, I, I can tell you it's bitter. I, I don't know that for sure, but I bet it is. And the goal of the vine dresser is to have fruit, more fruit, much fruit. 
and he'll do whatever he has to do. He's going to lift us up, clean us off, discipline us, tie us to that strand. He is going to, he's going to prune us back because what we want to do is we're going to want to do the easy thing, and he's going to go after the ego, our pride, our self-centeredness, because that's keeping the great fruit from growing, the really good stuff. Now, if you're having a difficult time imagining what that would look like, it would be the end game, the goal, is you, if you were Adam or you were Eve, God, the, the vine dresser is going to get you to that end. He's going to produce an Adam and Eve before the fall. Your personality, all that uniqueness that he made special without, without you being in the center of the universe, you being self-forgetful. Now, the shocking part of this story that Jesus is telling, I think, again, I think the disciples understood this. I don't think we do. When he talked about pruning, the shocking part of this fact of how God works in our life is the extent of the pruning. And if you can, if you can walk away today with saying, wow, there's two lessons to learn today. One is, wow, it's a lot more than I thought then you've picked up half of what Jesus is trying to teach you. Okay, let me, let me just give you an idea what pruning, the, the technique of pruning. I went at uh, Washington State University has a whole you know, division for growing grapes, right? And here's how they teach a novice pruner how to deal with pruning, okay? Just so that you get an idea of how radical pruning is. Standing in front of a mass tra- uh, tangled grape branches and wondering what you're supposed to do next can be a scary experience for a novice or even sometimes an experienced pruner. But keep this essential thing in mind. Don't be afraid to cut. Don't be afraid to cut. You're going to, by the time you finish, 90% of that branch will be gone. Could I just do some math out loud? That means only 10% remains. I want you to hear that the vine dresser is going to cut more than you like. Here's the last sentence. With all that being said, you can approach pruning with a spirit of adventure. <laughs> well, well, thank you, Jesus, with your spirit of adventure, going after my ego, going for 90% laid on a trash heap somewhere. Thank you, spirit of adventure. Uh, the first lesson I want you to hear, because I think the disciples heard this, is it's a radical cut. It's more than you think. And two, you're going to love that fruit. You're going to love the sweetness of that fruit. But you can't get that sweetness without radical pruning. It's just, it's just friends, it's, it's the physics of horticulture. And that's, Jesus is, is saying that. That, he, that God, the Father is the good, good vine dresser. And, and, and he loves you so much that he will be relentlessly pursuing, pruning your entire life every season, cutting way back. And I know it would be easy to think, just kind of just thinking through it, it would be easy to believe that the people that are pruned the most are the most bitter. But the fact of the matter is the most godly saints, the most joyful saints are the most pruned saints because radical pruning, what was the word again? With a spirit of adventure leads to sweet fruit, more fruit, much fruit. 
He's going to cut you back more than you thought. You're going to love the fruit. Okay? Most of today's talk, I think we're into it about 20 minutes at this point, is actually just to set up six pictures for you. I've brought you six visuals to help you understand, one, that he's going to cut you back more than you like, and two, you're going to love that fruit. Here's you and me, proud, full of answers. We got it all figured out. That's what the vines or branches look like. This is those same vines pruned. Ow. That's a lot of ego in a pile somewhere soon to be burned. And that's where we're humbled and some often humiliated. But look at the fruit. Okay, this is us, broken, you know, easily uh, enthralled with wonder, enjoying the amazement of experiencing a depth of human experience that we couldn't have any other way. You're going to love the fruit. Okay, here's another one. Here, here's, here's, here's you and me, impatient uh, and controlling and addicted to comfort. Here's us after the pruning season. Yeah, I know. That's my ego there. Was it again? Ex- a spirit of adventure? <laughs> right? And then, and then here's the fruit. Fearless. Fearless. Enjoying the little things of life. Because you're not in the center of the universe so much anymore. See, the, what the pruning does is it, is, it, is, it, is it cuts away the easy lies that we naturally gravitate to and then draws us to the fruit, the, the sweet fruit of truth that's hard. Okay, let me say that again. Pruning cuts us away from the lies that we want to believe because they're fun to believe. They're all about us. And it causes us to appreciate the juicy, sweet fragrance and taste of what is true, but rather hard to hear. Look, here, my, uh, Richard Rohr, right in the book, if you read Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, made a reference to this man's work, Five Essentials of Being Truly a Spiritual Being. Look, what he's, he, here's what he's talking about. The first one is that life is easy. That's the lie we want to believe. But you know what? Life is hard. The sooner we settle that, the better it is. We get it pruned off. The second one is the world is here for me. Once you realize and get pruned off, it's like it, I'm not all that important after all. That's a good place to be, though. I will get all that I can. Look at that. Listen, my life is not about me. My life is not about, that's awesome. I will force everything, and then you realize I am not in control. And then finally, the last one, the, the thing that's been going on for centuries, I'm going to just stay distracted and not think about this. And the truth is, oh, I'll be dead and forgotten sooner than, rather than later. Those are hard truths. But listen, friends, our souls were made by truth. We were designed for truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. And the pruning causes us to desire these truths. And, 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 and we're free to be who God made us to be. We're free to be who God meant us to be. So let me just tell you the story all over again. Jesus starts off and says, I am the true vine. The Father is the vine dresser. And you guys, you and me, we're the branches. Remain in me and I in you. And he's going to cause you to bear fruit, much fruit, more fruit. And how's he going to do that? Well, 
Sometimes in an act of discipline, he's going to go down on his knees and he's going to pick us up. He's going to lift us up and clean us off. He's going to discipline us, get us back to where we were meant to be. But all the time, every season, he's going to get out those shears. They'll be sharpened every time and he's going to prune us back because that's what he does. And that's what we were going to want. It's going to be more than we thought or would like, but we're going to love, love, love the fruit that comes from that. And all of that, chapter 15, verse 8, to this is my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. I think, I think that's a version of, of, I think that's what Augustine was referring to when he said, uh, the glory of God is a man fully alive. It is, it is glorious to the Father that we bear much fruit and look like Jesus from the inside out. Good stuff, right? You know, when I was uh, looking at this material again, uh, it reminded me of around 2009 when I was reading the book for the first time, and it was a very difficult, wasn't the most difficult, but it was right up there in the top three uh, seasons of my life. I was, I was on a 13-month descent. didn't look like there was a bottom to it. And it was, a, it was a beautiful picture of God was working in my life. And I knew God was working in my life because because everything was going wrong. I was King Midas's unluckier twin brother that everything I touched turned to coal. Every part of my life was a wreck. Even, even my body, my, I had a thyroid that went rogue on me and, and so I was uh, confused and tired all the time and at work it was troublesome. We, and oddly enough, it was right when we were about to open this building, okay, this worship center. And, and those were not good times, at least for me. Because to build this building, we had to demolish the building that existed underneath, you know, on the ground. And that was uh, the home of Grace Covenant Christian School, 25 years with our name on it. And we had to end it. And not only that, the transition from the old auditorium to this worship center, we weren't going to be able to have uh, traditional choir music like work for it. We just wasn't going to make it. It, it. Both decisions were hard and complicated and they needed to be made. And I, let me just say this. Uh, those are two dreams that are very difficult to kill in another person's life. And, it, and so it was like, no, everywhere I went, everywhere I went, I was getting into trouble somehow. I went to a wedding one time and somebody introduced themselves and I said, I'm Matt Cassidy. Oh, so you're the one. Yeah, what? Yeah, you're the one that killed the school. And I thought, you know what? Yes, I am. I did that. It was easy. Because I hate kids. <laughs> and I'm, I'm against Christian education. And so with a stroke of a pen, I could do them, you know. And you know what? You know what? I hate worship too. And that's why I took out the choir. So whatever. And, and, then, and then Job's comforters were like lining up outside of my office, coming in and almost always comparing me to some other pastor, sometimes in the country, you know, uh, doing other things, better things, better than I was doing it, of course. And, and they would just sit down and, and encourage me. <laughs> yeah, you're, it was fun for you to hear about it. It wasn't fun to be there. This, this, is, this was the tipping point. This was this guy, you know, God love him, um, but not really. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I don't remember who it is, okay? So anyway, he came in. He couldn't have been more serious. He was very concerned for me. He said, Matt, 
you, you do not have a healthy spiritual life, especially to be a senior pastor. And I went, okay, you have my attention. How, why do you think that? Because you don't know me. And he said, well, you just don't, you don't, have, you don't have passion. You know, you don't have like a, a passion for the Lord. And I said, oh, okay, well, how do, you, how do you know that? He said, well, you know, you, you're way too intellectual and analytical in the way you teach and, and the way you project, you know, the truths of God. And I said, did you just say I think too much? And he said, yeah. He said, no one has ever, ever accused me of thinking too much. And I'll pay you money if you'll call my dad and say, Matt is thinking too much. Because my dad, all he ever said to me was, Matt, think. Think, Matt, think. So already, you know, we're not having a good conversation. But I said, okay, so how would, how would I know or how would you know, of course, that I have passion. And he had heard a sermon earlier that month online somewhere, and he said, here's how. It's all about how the Lord makes you weep. And then how long you have to go back in your life story to answer the question, when was the last time you wept because of what the Lord was doing in your life? And then I would have passion. He goes, yes. I said, well, okay. So he said, when, when was the last time you wept for what the Lord was doing? I was too tired, and I didn't want to answer his questions, so I didn't. He knew too much. I'll tell you. I'll tell you, in 2009, the last time I wept because of what the Lord was doing in my life. I was sitting on the trunk of my car in my driveway, looking across the street and thinking about my neighbors who I pray for. And I was thinking about, man, I would love if they knew Jesus Christ personally and would have the hope that comes in knowing him. And then I thought that if any one of those neighbors walked up to me right then and there and said, hey, I'd love to hear about Jesus Christ. Tell me about him. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I would say, you know what? By what I can tell, when I look at your life, your life seems to be uninterrupted. It, it appears to me that God is just leaving you alone. And I, I envy that. I do. Because, because this lifting up and this pruning, I don't, I, don't, I don't think I would want that on you. I mean, you can just carry on with your life. And here's what was happening on that moment. I was thinking, I wanted the father, you know, I wanted to be the cool dad. You know, the cool dad that got my little buddies and snuck us into some movie that we were too young to see and we would celebrate later at lunch, you know, at, at school. And it turned out that he is not the cool dad. He's a good, good father. And he's the father that would take me to a the whipping shed if I went to that movie that was inappropriate for me to attend. He turned out to be not the God I wanted, but the God that was and the God I needed. And so, when was the last time I wept? It was on the trunk of that car. And it was because I was bruised from being bruised. And I was tired of a God that never tires of doing what is right in my life. And, I, and I'm, um, ultimately, I mean, in a, in a single sentence, I was crying because I was ashamed of being ashamed of God. That was the last time I cried. 
Does that say I have passion? Two months later, uh, it was sports season, and, you know, I'm still in this funk, and um, there's, a, there's a guy up in the stands, and uh, one of the other parents, and he's carrying on and having a great time, and everybody's, you know, enjoying him and laughing at him. Nothing inappropriate. Please don't misunderstand. But, but I must have been God's spirit, but I, I looked at him, and I, and I was enamored with him. I just I couldn't. I was, what, what is it with this guy? And then the next game, I'm, I'm, again, I'm watching him instead of the game, and there's something, this guy's teasing me somehow. And then the third game, I was driving home, and I, that's when it hit me. I know who he reminds me of. That guy reminds me of me. Unpruned. Needing everyone to know he was in the crowd making sure that people were laughing at all his jokes and the center of attention. And I just thought, dear God, I wouldn't wish this on a friend, but I am grateful that you are a good, good vine dresser, that you wouldn't leave me alone. And what he was doing was fine if you were 20. doesn't look so good at 50. You know, that level of need at that age. And, and so, I mean, it kind of comes full circle that the, the lesson of the vineyard was true in my life, that he was pruning way more than I wanted, but I was enjoying the fruit more than I had expected. There was more fruit. There was much fruit. It was sweet fruit. So I know some of you are right now being pruned by God. And it's more than you thought. You're getting pruned way back. And you're wondering, he's a good vine dresser. And I'm here to tell you this, spring's coming. Spring's coming. And you're going to love that fruit. Just abide in him. Let him abide in you. Let him do his work. Some of you, pruning's coming. Pruning is coming. It comes every season. Do not be alarmed. It shows that he loves you, that he would spank you. It shows that he cares for you and that you're his, that he would prune you back. The pain is passing. The fruit is eternal. The sweetest wine in all of the Bible is the wine at Canaan. Remember the Canaan wedding? Jesus brings his own wine, save the best for last. That's the father working the vine. That's what we could taste like. Know this. Know this. This is what Jesus, this is the part that's on the test. God loves you. And you're going to love what he's going to do in your life. God loves you, and you're going to love what he's going to do in your life. He's going to produce you, a, within you, a branch that is filled with fat, sweet, eternal, everlasting fruit that will make a sweet wine that you will bring to the Father to present to him for his glory. That's the meaning of life. That's the last teaching of Jesus the Christ. That's good. Lord Jesus, I'm glad that you're, <laughs> you saved the best for last in your teaching. So that when we look at our lives, we won't be scared 
or confused or bewildered or even resentful that you're a good father, that you discipline those that are your children. You lift them up, you clean them off, you string them to the string. But Lord, the pruning, oh, the pruning is so, what's that word? With a spirit of adventure, that you prune with a spirit of adventure, it can be discouraging for us, dear Lord. And so, Lord, I'd ask that you would remind us of this teaching in John chapter 15, that we would stay abiding in you so that we would enjoy the fruit of the spring harvest. Give us strength in the fall to produce fruit in the spring, much fruit, more fruit, abundant fruit. The glory of the Father in Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. For more information about grace, visit our website at grace360.org.